Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Shabbat Shalom. Hope you had a wonderful Passover. I'm going to do what I did last time. Um, I want to teach out of the newsletter because I, I do want to stick with our, our theme here, which is the footsteps of Messiah. And as we're, we're remember, as we're doing the footsteps of Messiah, our primary text has been the Song of Songs. Now, of course, if, if there's something in the Torah portion uh, that ties in to the theme, we definitely want to link them. And we found some pretty incredible links. It just seems like somehow the Spirit orchestrates our study where that something within the Torah portion uh, will be uh, relevant to our footsteps study. This week, I want to go back to the slice of pomegranate. And remember, we're, we're in Song of Songs chapter four right now. We're looking pretty much at the per first five verses or so, five to six verses in Song of Songs chapter four. And you'll notice by this point, there's repetition of some things that we read in chapters one and two. And that's okay, because we're putting on extra layers at this point, extra layers of understanding. So I want to work with the text that is chapter verse 3, it says, your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is beautiful. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. That's that's pretty much the gist of it. So let's think back to again, what is our series about? The Footsteps of Messiah. I think a few years ago, we realized we had entered into the tribulation of the generation. When the, the COVID scare set in, there's no doubt. I don't know that the, the real problem was COVID. I've never really thought that the real problem was COVID itself, the virus. I felt like that was the smokescreen for the rest of what was going on. And there was a whole lot going on. And if you've got that smokescreen to work under, then you can get away with a lot of it. People may not necessarily see everything that's going on behind the scenes, because they're they're debating one issue. <laughs> so that's what I keep telling my class over the last couple of weeks is, look, the beast, which represents the soul, the nefesh, and the soul is appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect. So if the beast can engage you through your appetites, if your beast can engage you through your emotions, that's been a biggie not just over the past few years, that's been a biggie now for several years. People are out of control emotionally. Their emotions run rampant. There's no logic and reason. So when we talk about intellect being part of the soul, it's like the soul is at war with itself. There are people at war within themselves. No wonder they're confused because they might be a person who's very logical, very reasonable, and this is going to rule over their emotion. But they might also be a very emotional, volatile person, and then that's going to rule over their intellect. Well, that's just the inner war within the soul. And it doesn't leave any room for the spirit, for the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to come in and to subject every one of those, to subject our appetites, to subject our emotions, to subject our intellect, to it is written to truth. The emotions can be subjected to truth. The intellect can be subjected to truth. Your appetites can be subjected to truth. But you have to decide that you're going to give the Holy Spirit that authority. If there is a lack of that authority in your life, remember what accompanies the Holy Spirit? The preaching of the word, the washing of the word. We've been talking about the washing of the water of the word. If we're not being repeatedly washed in the water of the word, if the word's not being implanted into our souls, then our logic is all wrong. If it's not planted into our souls, our emotions will be wrong. If it's not planted into our souls, our appetites will be wrong. So we will desire things that aren't good for us. We'll become emotional about things because our intellect is not even thinking the right thoughts. 
It'll all become twisted. And if the beast, remember the, the uncontrolled appetite, the uncontrolled emotion, the uncontrolled intellect, that's what you're fighting with most of the time in the world. And that's why you're you're so ill at ease right now. The Holy Spirit in you, you're surrounded by people who are subjecting themselves to the thinking of a beast, to the emotions of a beast, to the desires of a beast. There's no authority. There's no discipline of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is all about disciplines because disciplines make disciples. And how do you make a disciple? You make a disciple based on it is written. A disciple is in the process of learning, of mastering appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect with it is written, not I feel, I think I want. So often the beast will draw you in to a conflict and it will get you in a big uproar emotionally. It'll get you all upset emotionally. It might be anger. It might be fear. It might be rejection. It might be offense. It will get you in a big uproar intellectually. You'll go into an intellectual confusion. It might throw you into an uproar with your desires. Maybe it's a it's an addiction. And you know, these are the big items in, in the news today. Drugs are the big items in the news today. Uncontrolled emotions are in the news today. Uncontrolled desire is in the news today. Twisted thinking, confused thinking is in the news today. It's the news of the day. And so we can get drawn into that. And often the beast, and that's why I say, I believe COVID was just a smokescreen. We'll get so engaged fighting these conflicts with the beast and we fail to notice the snake is slithering up our leg. The snake's cool, right? There's a deceit that goes in there and it begins to twist around. Don't be too distracted by the smoke screens. And often you can tell when someone is caught up in one of those smoke screens because they'll get caught up in arguments that they feel they must win, that somehow the future of the world rests on them winning this argument on this point. It probably doesn't. Yeshua didn't have to answer every accusation. He didn't have to settle every argument. Sometimes he was just silent. Sometimes he didn't even bother to deal with the beast because he knew the beast was just trying to distract him. And so keep that in mind. When, when you feel like you're getting in, drawn into an argument that maybe something in your spirit is saying, don't go there, don't go there, don't. You don't. You don't have to answer every accusation. You don't have to settle every argument. You don't have to have the last word. In fact, if my old saying is the one trying to have the last word is rarely walking in the word because it's become com competitive. It's become beastly. You don't have to do that. The word speaks for itself. It is written, let it go. Because the smoke screen will get you so wound up emotionally that it, it gives room for the snake to slither in and start doing things that you just may not see because you're distracted. And so with that, a few years ago, I think we can confidently say, at least for this generation, this is our tribulation. We're in it. Will there be more? I don't know. I don't know for the last generation. Have there been before? You bet. Every generation has had a tribulation. This is ours. And we know that that smokescreen has affected you know, our commerce, our supply chain. It's affected our, our medical system. It's affected our military definitely affected our politics. Every part of our life, it's about to affect our economic system in a much bigger way than it already has within just a few months. Possibly it's affecting our agriculture. I get some vibes there. So as it feels like the world is sliding out of control, just remember it is under control. There, there is somebody pulling all the strings. There are people who think they are pulling strings. That's an illusion. They're being given the illusion that they're controlling something, but there is someone who is in control of everything so that he can rescue his own out of the tribulation. And that's why at this point, we don't have time to be playing religion. We don't have time to be playing games with the Holy Spirit like Ananias and Sapphira. If you find yourself in an incredible move of the Spirit in your generation like Nadav and Avihu, wow, what a generation. They walked with Moses, but you know what? they got burned up because they didn't respect the authority, not just of their father, but they didn't respect the authority of the Holy Spirit to tell them exactly what should be done in that tabernacle and by whom and in what order. Same thing with Ananias and Sapphira. Were they any better, any worse than anyone in this generation? Probably not. But they found themselves in an incredible move of the, the Spirit in their generation 
a, a fellowship, a tight fellowship of believers. And so to lie to the Holy Spirit about the price for their property that they sold, they didn't live another day. They stopped right there. So I think this is why Yeshua says, you know, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit to enter the kingdom, at least not at that time. <laughs> you just got some repentance work to do. You you need, you're, you're going to have to figure out what's most important because tribulations tend not to let you live in two worlds simultaneously in terms of dependence upon both of them. Are you in Babylon? Yes. Are you in Egypt? Yes. Do you depend upon Babylon and Egypt? I hope not. I hope you're not depending upon the banking system. I hope you're not depending upon the agriculture, the politics, the military, the medical system. I hope your trust is not in March Madness or the Super Bowl at this point in our journey. We're, we're part of an incredible move of the Holy Spirit where the whole word is being restored to the world, not just Matthew to Revelation. He's restoring the whole word to people who weren't brought up to understand Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And now he is, he is putting it back in their hands, and he's showing them the power that is inherent in his word, beginning with Genesis 1-1, all the way to Revelation. So if you find yourself moving with that move of the Spirit, understand there's a, there's a high bar of obedience that goes with it. It's, it's no time to play, and, and that's to encourage you. You know, as you see the times get rougher, understand this is your time. This is what you were born to do. That's why you were born in this generation. So in every generation, there are quote unquote believers who don't believe so much that it changes their lives significantly. You know, a lot of people are willing to get saved as long as it doesn't change their lives too much. As long as it doesn't change their social behavior, the teams they play on or their kids play on as long as it doesn't change who their friends are, as long as it doesn't change the type of car they drive or the house they live in or the neighborhood they live in, as long as it doesn't change their job situation. Wow. <laughs> doesn't really fit the scriptural example, does it? it? It requires everything. You have to be willing. Now, you may not have to give up certain things, but there probably will be certain things that will be revised in your life in a significant way. So there are, there's also always a certain set of people who want to be believers as long as it doesn't change my life significantly. We don't want to be one of those people. We have to be okay with our faith in Yeshua changing our life day by day. It might change who our friends are. It might change our relationship with our families. It might change our job opportunities. It might change the neighborhood we live in. It might change the sports events we treat ourselves to. It certainly should be changing movies that we watch or songs that we listen to. All these things can change because if he came to save your soul, appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect, then he's going to change what you have an appetite for. And that means you have to work with him. He's not probably just going to snap his fingers and make you want something different. This is where the practice comes in. This is what your walk in the wilderness is for, is to begin to change these appetites, just like the children of Israel. Their appetite had to change. They had to start yearning for manna every morning instead of leeks, onions, and melons, and the fish of Egypt. What they wanted, what they desired change. What they felt had to change. All that complaining, that had to change. We should expect those things to change, but we should also expect it not to be easy. But we should expect the power of the Holy Spirit to be there to help us. That's what Yeshua said. If I go, it's just so that I can send the helper who can help you do this. And so one of the models that I like to use is the progression of the feasts of Israel. I think there's a reason that we're commanded to celebrate these feasts throughout our generations. As we walk through these feasts, the final feast is going to be Sukkot or Tabernacles. It's also known as the Feast of the Nations. So three of those, Passover, Shavuot, Sukkot, Passover, Pentecost for some people, or Tabernacles for some people. Those three are called the foot festivals. And they're called the foot festivals because in that day and time, you had to walk up to Jerusalem to celebrate them. So you went on foot or you rode a donkey. And so these foot festivals, I think, are very important for us in tuning our ears to hear the footsteps of Messiah 
if we were to expect the footsteps of Messiah at any time, it should be at one of these three feasts, these very important feasts. And if we are expecting the footsteps of Messiah Yeshua, I think we also have to check where our own feet are walking and expectation. Where have you turned your feet to? Where would you expect him to be at Passover? Where would you expect Yeshua to be at Shavuot? Where would you expect Yeshua to be at Sukkot? Where would you expect Yeshua to be on any given Shabbat? Especially since scripture tells us it was his custom to go into the synagogue. Would you expect him to be out on the river fishing on Shabbat? Would you expect him to be at a basketball tournament on Shabbat? Where do you expect to find him on Shabbat? I hope I'm not getting in your business right here because I don't mean to. Well, yes, I guess I do mean to. It's important. It's our generation. I'm trying to help you understand the generation that you're in. Because sometimes we just go along and do things and it just never occurs to us that hmm, there might have been a better, better decision right here based on the time in which I'm living and the calling that Yeshua has put on my life to walk after him. So I have to say, where would Yeshua's feet go on this particular day? I know where his feet were at Passover. I know where his feet were at Shavuot. I know where his feet were at Sukkot. The Gospels tell us exactly where he was at those times. They tell us where he was on Shabbat. I don't have to put my feet in any other place other than those things that he walked in. That's the great thing about the footsteps of Messiah. They're going to be really easy to hear if you have put your feet in the same places. If we expect him to come proclaiming good news on the mountains and to have those lovely footsteps, it's because we've done the same thing. We have proclaimed the good news of Messiah Yeshua on the mountains, and our feet are lovely too, because we're doing what he did. Mountains represent the nations, just like the seas represent the nations. So we were given three seasonal first fruits feasts called foot festivals. The first fruits of the barley will be offered during the week of Pesach or Passover. The first fruits of the wheat will be offered at Shavuot or Pentecost. And the first fruits of everything else, wine vat, threshing floor, flocks, herds, the fruit of the ground, the fruit of the tree, the first fruits of everything else is going to be brought at Sukkot or if you missed. You know, if you, you had some stuff set aside that wasn't quite ready at Passover or Shavuot, you can bring everything else at the Feast of Ingathering, which is another nickname for Sukkot. And we can see the patterns there, like, where did we expect Yeshua's feet to be? Well, at the first fruits of the barley, he resurrects. That's where his feet were. In Egypt, the Israelites were delivered from sin and death at Passover, but they had to get up and walk. They had to go. They had to do what they were told to do. There was not much Torah for them to obey at that point. They just had to trust in the Lamb's blood and follow the cloud. They just had to exercise their faith. And then at the wheat harvest of Shavuot, they didn't have any wheat at their first Shavuot together. As a nation, they arrived at Mount Sinai with basically flocks, herds, a bunch of silver and gold and, and stuff they took away from the Egyptians, but there was no literal wheat harvest at that point. They were the wheat. They were the fine wheat that was brought out of Egypt, and they should have been maturing a little bit in their faith between Egypt and Mount Sinai. We've been talking about how righteousness was put into their accounts in Egypt while they started walking because they hadn't had a chance yet to even hear all the commandments, much less try to do them. So they come to Mount Sinai at Shavuot, and there they make a commitment to do the full Torah. What did they have to go on? Well, they'd just been delivered by Adonai. They'd been walking in clouds of glory. Since Sukkot, since they, you know, their first stop when they come out of Egypt, they stopped at a place called Sukkot. He declared the end from the beginning for them. They went straight from Passover to Sukkot. So their faith is on a pretty sound basis. They're not being asked to just jump off a cliff in faith. They can look back at this journey and say, wow, he kept us through 10 plagues in Egypt. He made the sea part so we could walk through it. He destroyed the Egyptian army. He gave us fresh water to drink in the wilderness. This wasn't a blind leap of faith. It was very logical and very reasonable for them to have faith at that point. They're in the wilderness. They're not hungry. They're not thirsty. They're not resurrected in the body yet, but they're not dead in Egypt either. They're in an in-between place. So he brought them to Mount Sinai at Shavuot, and it's there they're going to make a commitment to, we're going to keep walking, and we're going to keep learning, so that 
the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit, the presence of Adonai can teach them with Moses' help between Sinai and when they reach the promised land. Of course, they, they encountered a few problems before that was accomplished. At Shabuot, they experienced kind of a preliminary resurrection. As long as they were walking in the cloud, if as long as they were walking in obedience, they were walking in a semi-supernatural state. They'll eat manna that comes out of heaven. They'll drink water that comes out of a rock. It, it suspended some other laws of a fallen world. Their, their garments don't wear out. Their shoes don't wear out. But where are they going? Well, at Shavuot, from there, the journey continues to Sukkot of the nations. And the rabbinic understanding of Shavuot at that time, which helps us understand what happened in Acts chapter 2, is that when they stood at Mount Sinai, those words, that covenant was offered to all the 70 nations, and there was not enough among those 70 nations for the entire nation to respond like Israel, we will do and we will hear. There was a remnant among those nations that were willing to do it, but not the entire nation. And so we can see from that moment, the long range plan of Acts chapter two is he never wanted to exclude that remnant. In fact, he's, like we said, we, we read the book of Ruth, at Shavuot to show how there's always been a plan for the nations, the remnant among the nations to come in and join themselves to the covenant. Plan's always been there. And so we keep walking from Shavuot and having experienced kind of a, a preliminary resurrection, we're aimed now toward the fall feasts. You're going to have a resurrection day at the Feast of Trumpets. For those who are intermediate, who aren't quite ready at that point, they're a little wishy-washy. They're called lukewarm in Revelation. They're called intermediates in Judaism, they have 10 days to get it right before the gates close at Yom HaKippurim. And then the decrees are going to be sealed and they're going to be handed off. And then at Sukkot, the visitation begins for good or bad. So there will be a, a greater resurrection in the fall feasts, which is the point we continue walking towards Sukkot of the nations so that we can see within this resurrection. And we know that there's life in the word. The word can go out to the nations. And Sukkot is also when the Torah cycle concludes. That's when you roll the scroll back up and you start over at Genesis 1-1. So the last foot festival is when we re-roll the scroll. You can see that in the book of Revelation, how the sky is rolling up like a scroll. It's telling you this cycle is over and a new one's beginning. And then it leads you right back to the next Passover, a new beginning. So let's let's skip back to Shavuot here for a second, having gotten the, the big worldview now. Let's go back to Shavuot, which does commemorate the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Every year, you're going to accept the yoke of the Torah anew at Shavuot. And some people say, oh, no, we're not supposed to be wearing any yokes. Oh, yes, you are. Remember, Yeshua says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. But he's telling you it's going to be easy. It's going to be, it's going to be doable. It's going to be light. When you take the yoke of the Torah upon you at Shavuot, it's with the, with the agreement with Yeshua. Remember, he says, I'm going to go, but I'm going to make this easier for you. I'm going to send you a helper to help you do this. You're not in this yoke alone. You're not trying to drag around the Torah all by yourself. Now you have the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to be able to wear this yoke. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, there's no reason for it to be a heavy burden. Never any reason for the Torah to be a heavy burden. If you want to make that commitment, we will do, we will hear, we'll hear the whole word, not just the big 10. You, Moses, you go up there, you hear the rest of it, come down and tell us what he said. If you're willing to hear the whole Torah, then Yeshua is willing to help you bear that yoke. And the power that you have in the Holy Spirit is what is going to make that word transformative in your life. And I think this is why you know, going back to our working text, your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is beautiful. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. The pomegranate represents the 613 commandments of the Torah because the number of pips in a pomegranate is usually around 613. And so with the eyes of our bridegroom, through the eyes of Yeshua, our bridegroom, when we keep his commandments, when we take that yoke upon us and make that commitment, because number one, we have the assurance that he's sending the helper to help us do that. So it'll be light. And then 
Number two, the understanding is that this Torah is going to be something beautiful, not burdensome. So it's not as if we can't carry the yoke that he puts upon us. We can. And it's not as if it has to be drudgery. It shouldn't be. It should be something as attractive as a bride behind her veil as the bridegroom is gazing at her. When we see the commandments in that light, then it's not a heavy yoke. Then it's it doesn't become something, well, nobody can do that. Well, sure they can. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you can keep your slice. And what do I mean by that? Well, notice it doesn't say your temples are like a pomegranate behind your veil. It says your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. If there's 613 commandments, you can't possibly keep all those because they're not all meant for you. Commandments go into categories. They go into to buckets that depend upon the issue being addressed. For instance, there's husband commandments, there's wife commandments, there's parent commandments, there's child commandments, there's merchant commandments, there's farmer commandments, there's priest commandments, there's Levite commandments, there's family purity commandments, commandments all over, you know, they're all over the place in terms of category. One person, your slice of pomegranates is pretty small compared to the whole pomegranate. It's just a slice. And this is why, you know, we don't have to take on the whole yoke of the Torah because you may not be a Kohen. There is no working temple. There is no working priesthood right now. You may not be living in the land of Israel. Some commandments are only active when you are settled in your land, when the tribes are settled in their land. So as you start working through all the commandments that apply to you, it's a pretty small list. It's just a little slice of the pomegranate. But if you're willing to say, we will do and we will hear, and it doesn't mean you can't learn the others, you can. It's, it's praiseworthy to learn all the commandments and have a working understanding of them, but they're not all for you to, to carry, and you're not alone. So the strange thing about Shavuot that the rabbis point out is it's never celebrated as one of repentance from sin. Passover, the idea of forgiveness of sin, uh, there is an extra musaf offering if during temple times for sin if you have sin. So they offer this extra sacrifice at Sukkot. There's going to be extra sacrifices for sin. But strangely, Shavuot does not require a goat for a sin offering. Does that mean there you, you can't repent of sin at Shavuot? No, it doesn't mean that. It, you could. You definitely could if you wanted to bring a sin offering personally. But for the nation, that extra sin offering is not made at Shavuot. The understanding is that between Passover and Shavuot, as you're counting those seven sevens, the seven weeks up until the 50th day after uh, first fruits of the barley, that you're doing the work of repentance. You're, you're removing these incrustations of sin that were left over from Egypt. And if he's called you out of the world, if he's called you out of Babylon or Egypt, you're going to have stuff stuck to you, what I call the residue. You might have wrong ways of thinking. You might have uncontrolled emotions. You might have improper desires. And part of that is if you don't know the word, you probably will. He needs to teach you the word. And so Shavuot, remember, you've been walking on a righteousness credit up until that point. And at that point, he says, do you want, do you want everything that I have for you? Or do you just want to escape death? And you say, we will do, we will hear. Yes, I definitely want what you have for me. And you know what? You're going to keep walking in that righteousness credit because it's going to take you a while between Shavuot and Sukkot when it's time for you to cross into the promised land, as if we're looking at it like a model, for you to continue learning what the word is in order to be able to do it. The Israelites were considered sin-free when they received the Torah. Were they? Probably not. They had all sorts of problems. But on that day, remember, it was credited to Abraham for righteousness just because he believed. At this point, the Israelites believed they can. They said, we will do and we will hear. We believe we can do it. So that became a credit in their account, even for the things they hadn't walked in yet. They are saying, we will take our slice of pomegranates. We will allow the one who created us to beautify us with his word. And also, if you remember when the high priest, he had on the, the fancier garments, the garments of glory, that the hem of the garment, it had bells and pomegranates around the hem of it. And they would make a musical noise as he walked. And so it created a very pleasant atmosphere 
And there's a picture to us. If we're a royal priesthood, our garments should be hemmed in bells and pomegranates. As we're walking in the word, it should be musical. It should be pleasant. It should be like a slice of pomegranate, not a drudgery. Another symbol of the commandments, other than the pomegranate pips, is jewelry. When Israel sinned with the golden calf, Moses made them take their jewelry off because this was considered the ornaments of a bride. When Moses didn't come down as fast as they wanted him to, they took their gold rings and they gave them to Aaron to make a golden calf. So what did they do? If the ornaments of the bride are symbols of her righteousness, and remember, they took those things out of Egypt. They hadn't earned them. They were just given to them. Just like the the righteousness credits, you didn't earn it. It was just put in your account. What have they done? They have exchanged the righteousness of Adonai that was given to them on credit for an idol. So Moses comes down, he sees that they have exchanged the righteousness of Adonai for an idol, and he just takes the rest of their jewelry, says, take it off. You can't wear that. You're not a bride. You're not ready to be married. You're not ready to be betrothed. You're not ready to go into the promised land. What a beautiful thing that he, he's already adorned us with commandments on credit. And we just have to be patient until just like they were waiting on Moses to return and they got exasperated and they got disappointed and, and they gave up. Well, we're waiting on Yeshua to return. He left. He gave us the Ruach HaKodesh. He gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could walk worthy of these ornaments that he placed on us. He says, come learn from me. Learn the Torah from me. He came to establish the Torah, not to do away with it. He says, don't take your ornaments off. You need those ornaments to go into the land at Sukkot. Walk in his righteousness. Walk in the living word. It's in your account even before you learn it. And I I think this is the exact same righteousness that the apostles are writing to the Gentile believers about when they're, they're starting to think they can earn their salvation with a commandment. No. Because you're saved, he's giving you the commandments. You got it backward. Commandments can't make you more saved. They allow you to perfect the salvation that you already have. They're the result of you walking faithfully in the righteousness of your salvation, of being willing to wear those ornaments and not to grow exasperated waiting on Yeshua to come back. And then you just start doing your own thing. Yeshua says, the Ruach HaKodesh, I'm going to leave so the the Holy Spirit can teach you. And so while you learn, grace is going to abound. Now, Paul says that is no excuse to keep sinning just so you can make lots of grace. You're you're throwing things over into a different bucket when you do that. That's called rebellion. If you think you can get away with stuff because you have grace and that's why you do it, that's, that's a completely different issue. But if you make mistakes while you're learning, grace will abound for us. The fullness of the Torah, it is promised to the betrothed. We continue to walk faithfully. We repent as necessary. And then Adonai is able to make a stand and live in the righteousness of those commandments, even before this body is resurrected and brought to a a state of perfection, spirit, soul, and body. He clothes us. He puts garments of glory upon us. Uh, I don't know, in our readings today, we talked about how Moses wanted to see Adonai, and he's like, oh, he can't really do that. He would, it would kill you if you saw me, but I'll let you see my back. He says, I'll make my, all my goodness to pass before you. And so Moses says, yeah, you know, I want to see your glory. So you see, tov, good, and the glory, the kavod of Adonai, they're equivalent expressions. And so when something is good, in scripture, often it's representing some aspect of his glory. You know, he called the creation good. You could see his glory in the creation. And then he, he creates the human beings and the Shabbat, and it's very good because it's reflecting even more of his glory in the human being on a Shabbat when they're obedient. So as your soul is being disciplined, as your Esau, your Edom, your red one, as it's being disciplined, as your appetites are being disciplined, your emotions, your desires, your intellect. It is the authority of the Holy Spirit within you that is trying to discipline those things. And those are represented by Jacob. As you look at the twin analogy, it's because Jacob is trying to discipline Esau. Esau is your life force, but it was never intended to control your life. The spirit was intended to control your life. And the soul 
was intended to fall up under that. And so while you're experiencing this conflict with your Esau, just like Paul did, he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Even the apostle Paul still struggled. It didn't mean he wasn't walking in righteousness and learning. You know, it'd be if he thought he were entitled to sin, that there would be a problem. Or if we just don't get that bit out of shape about our sin, we're just like, oh, okay, I'm not going to work on that. We, that's passive aggression. <laughs> passive aggression is still aggression, right? Passive rebellion is still rebellion. So I'm not going to work on that. I don't want to be held accountable for it. That's no excuse. Yeshua knows your heart. He always knew people's hearts even before they started talking. So don't think you can hide that in your heart and he wouldn't know it. Just like this Holy Spirit knew that Ananias and Sapphira had kept back a portion. If you are keeping back a portion from the Holy Spirit in this generation, if he has called you to Passover, if he has called you to Shavuot, if he has called you to Sukkot, if he has called you to celebrate the Shabbat, if he has called you to eat kosher, if he has called you to any of these things, do not believe that you can lie about what you know or don't know. You can say, I made a mistake. I knew better and I did it anyway, or I knew to do it and I didn't do it. But to lie about it, that won't fly. We have to be honest about what we know and what we don't know. And so simply saying, I don't want to deal with that commandment too much because I don't want to be accountable for it. He knows exactly what you're capable of. We don't want to play around with the Holy Spirit in our generation. Times are about to get too bad. I'm just, I'm warning you because I love you. Times are about to get bad. This is our generation. This is what we have to face. So we're going to have to be honest with ourselves. And if we'll be honest with ourselves, then we'll be honest with the Holy Spirit. And if we'll be honest with the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is there to help us bear that yoke and that situation. Because this righteousness we're walking in, it's not our own, but we need it. It can't be our own righteousness because we didn't invent it. The righteousness is in the word. Yeshua is the word. He's the living word. All we could ever do is put on his righteousness, but we have to have this righteousness to serve in his kingdom. And this is why we need the righteousness of the father and his son, Yeshua. So our salvation is important, but walking in their righteousness is equally important so that we walk worthy of that salvation. And I help, I think this helps us understand why the pomegranate pips are red. Pomegranate pips are red. Remember, Esau, your soul, appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect, it's referred to as the red one because that was Esau's nickname was Edom, the red one. So why would the pomegranate pomegranate pips, you say it really fast, why would those commandments be red? Because there is a beauty in the redness of a commandment when you keep it. That's the beauty of your soul. It's when your soul wholeheartedly agrees to walk in the righteousness of Yeshua. That's why the pips are red. That's why the pomegranate's red. It's because you're in obedience to the word. You've agreed to walk in the righteousness of Yeshua because red can also be the color of redemption. Remember the scarlet thread? It's showing us that our souls, our red souls are redeemed. And now that redness is not of rebellion. It's a redness of obedience and redemption. How do we know this? Proverbs 31. In fact, Proverbs is pretty much a big, long parable of the Holy Spirit, but especially Proverbs 31. Now, it also gives you the other side. It gives you the other woman, too, in there, not the Holy Spirit, just the opposite. But Proverbs 31 specifically is a parable of the the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And so it helps you understand what the Ruach HaKodesh does for us. It clothes us in righteousness, the righteousness of Yeshua, which protects us from the judgment of snow. Snow represents judgment. You can read that in Job 38, 22 through 23. So Proverbs 31, 21 says of the Holy Spirit, she is not afraid of the snow for her household. She's not afraid of the judgment for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. All right. That doesn't mean that all her household are rebellious like Esau. It means that their Esau's have been tamed by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Spirit. That's what this is a parable of. So those red souls, they're not afraid of the snow. They're not afraid of the judgment because now that soul has become part of the clothes of scarlet, part of the clothes of we will do and we will hear. And that takes us again back to our text. Your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth, your speech is beautiful. Why are the lips like a scarlet thread? 
They're speaking the commandments. The mouth is beautiful. They're speaking the commandments. So when we pray and obey, it is a protection against judgment. We have our slices of red pomegranate on our foreheads. So when we confess our faith in Messiah Yeshua, when we do and hear the commandments given by the Father through Moses, we're declaring our intention to walk in the word. And this is counted as doing well, doing well. That's from Deuteronomy 5, 27 and 28. And Moses is reminding the people of what transacted there at Mount Sinai, what they said and what he said. And, and he quotes here, he says, uh, go near and hear all that the Lord our God says. This is what they're telling Moses. Then speak to us all that the Lord our God speaks to you, and we will hear and do it. The Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They have done well. They have done tov and all that they have spoken. But you know, when you declare your intention with your lips, that's faith. And he says, this is tov, this is well. And what is well, what is tov? It's seen as an equivalent to the glory of Adonai, that when we declare we are going to do our best to understand what he's telling us and to do what he's telling us and to grow in respect to our salvation, then that is a scarlet thread. That is the glory of Messiah coming out of our lips. And when we make that declaration, remember, it was believed that two crowns were given to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. When they said, we will do, they got a crown. When they said, we will hear, they got a crown. One was a crown of royalty and one was a crown of leadership. Remember, Israel was called as a nation to be a leader to the nations of the world. Goes back to Sukkot of the nations. So we're welcome into this royal priesthood nation. And then we begin to learn the instructions. And within those instructions is the plan of salvation. So we're going to lead others to salvation when we do in here. And we don't have to, we don't have to walk in Messiah like refugees. He's already credited the righteousness into our accounts that we need to walk in. He's clothing us in scarlet against the day of judgment. And the, the garments that they received at Mount Sinai, you know, remember he says, wash your clothes, be ready on the third day, that as they walked in those commandments, it was understood they would receive more garments, garments of righteousness, that each of those commandments was like a, a new layer of fine robes, of, of royal robes to go with their crowns. And of course, you know, when they send with the golden calf, they say the angels came and took the crowns back because <laughs> apparently just too heavy for them to wear. But that can happen. That can happen. Nevertheless, when you make a declaration of intent to walk in faithfulness, it's a beautiful thing. And so you want to follow up on that beautiful thing by actually hearing and doing, like keeping your promise. I will try to understand the word and I will try to walk in the word. And as you put those clothes on, those are seen as having a protective power that guard you against sin, which takes you back to Proverbs 31, how the, the Holy Spirit puts you in scarlet clothes to protect you from judgment. The Holy Spirit is going to clothe you with redemption. As you walk in the word, you'll know what sin is, and then you'll know to avoid it. As you walk in those clothes, you'll know what goodness is, and you'll start to embrace it and incorporate it into your life. That's when you start walking worthy of the credit in your account. And the more you know, the more you can avoid sin, the more you can do good. And that's a protection to you. And then you can avoid a lot of judgment that you would otherwise go through. You would have a lot of consequences in your life that always follows rebellious sin. Well, the less you're sinning, the less consequences. Well, what if it's not rebellious? What if you're just ignorant? Remember the, the Israelites, they hadn't received all 613 commandments. Did they make lots of ignorant mistakes? I'm sure they did. Do we make lots of ignorant mistakes? I'm sure we do. And that's why grace abounds while we learn. But Caleb and Joshua, you know, as, as it's time to go into the promised land, they were on probation at that point from the golden calf. And had they been willing to do what Moses said to go in and just trust, to just have faith, the understanding was they could have achieved at that point a level of immortality. They, they could have begun to ascend back to the garden at that point and to begin to start the kingdom on earth. But Caleb, as he's exhorting them, as he can see that, oh, they don't want to do it. They don't want to go in. They, they don't want to pay this price because in the garden, it has to be obedience. 
There can be no rebellion there. And in Numbers 14, 9, he's saying, no, just don't rebel. Just don't rebel. It's one thing to make an ignorant mistake, but don't rebel. Yeshua knows the suffering we go through. He knows our ignorance. He knows we're still housed in a corruptible body that longs for things it shouldn't long for, that knows things it shouldn't know, that desires things it shouldn't desire, that experiences emotions that really aren't proper. And he makes intercession for this. He ever lives to make intercession for those things. And we're all longing for the resurrection. I call it uh, old man comets, right? The old man in us. We're all longing for that old man comets to be raised incorruptible. So we don't have to live on credit anymore. Yeshua is making intercession for us until that day when the body is raised incorruptible. Those things will not entice us. But rebellious sin, that's a different bucket, guys. Rebellious sin is that retreat to the in-between or the lukewarm status of the Laodiceans. And they had deceived themselves into thinking everything would be okay. I don't know what they told themselves. It's okay if I sin because there's just so much grace when I do that. Or did they just retreat and say, I don't want to learn anymore because I don't want to do anymore. Again, passive aggression is still aggression. Passive rebellion is still rebellion. What do we do? We go back to last week's lesson. How do you know Yeshua and the fellowship of his suffering for the sake of righteousness? It costs Yeshua something to walk in righteousness. It will cost us something too. But knowing that we have all these advantages, we have the Holy Spirit to help us every step of the way. We have a credit of righteousness in our accounts for when we struggle. With those two things alone, we'll make it to the end of the journey. We'll make it to Sukkot. But we just have to understand there will be some suffering along the way. We don't want to rebel. That's what Kelly said. Just don't rebel. Just don't rebel. We want to redeem our time. Remember the scarlet? It, it represents redemption. Not just rebellion like Esau, the red one, but it also represents the flip side of us when we walk in the authority of the Holy Spirit, that we're redeeming our time. And you say, well, what about those who were lukewarm? What about those who trampled all over the blood of Yeshua? What about those passive rebellers? What about them? Well, these, now that we're looking forward to the fall feasts, we, we've got Shavuot coming up. It's understood that the righteous will be sealed at Shavuot. And then it's up to them to continue walking in that sealing until the Feast of Trumpets, until the resurrection of the dead. What about those people who they've been offered this seal of the Holy Spirit. They've, they've got these righteousness credits, and then they don't walk in it. They rebel. They take a step back, or they refuse to take a step forward. They'll have 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets and the closing of the gates at Yom HaKippurim. They can repent. How that relates to the resurrection of the dead, will they also be at that time resurrected if they repent? I don't exactly know. Will they have to wait for the second resurrection a thousand years later? I don't exactly know. I just know I don't want to risk that. And I don't want any of you to risk it. And so having said all that, trust me, you can complete this journey. You can do this. You can't. He did not give you a plan that doesn't work. He gave you a plan that does work. If you will walk in it, it works. Even when you make a mistake, it works. Just don't rebel. Just don't rebel. That's all Caleb was saying. We can do this, guys. Just don't rebel. You're part of a magnificent generation. Doesn't feel like it when we look around. If we watch the news, we're not going to feel so magnificent. If we read newspaper articles, we're not going to feel so magnificent. If we look around in the natural, we're not going to feel like we're such a magnificent generation. But for such a depraved generation, he had to raise up a magnificent one among them. He had to raise up a nation among all these other nations. We are one nation, folks. I don't care if you're in Hong Kong right now, if you're in Singapore, if you're in South Africa, if you're in Namibia, if you're in the UK, if you're in Canada, if you're in Fiji, if you're in Venezuela, I don't care where you are right now. We're one nation. And just the same way he took one nation out of Egypt, he took a whole nation out of Egypt. He says, the next time I do this, I'm going to take my one nation. I'm going to take them out of all the nations, out of every tribe and tongue. It's doable. It's absolutely doable. We just want to make sure that we're included among that nation, that we walk worthy of Yeshua and everything that he did for us. And right now, having come through the Passover, 
And having had time to contemplate the Passover and everything that Yeshua did to us, it should be really easy for us right now to recommit to we will do and we will hear. Every year as you approach Shavuot, you're recommitting to that yoke of the word. But every year you are reminded, I can do this with the power of the Holy Spirit. I can do this. I can walk in this. Yeshua sent me the helper. And I've got righteousness credits in my account if I need them. (laughs) And, And we don't want to pull on that too much. You know, we don't want to depend on that too much because he's depending upon us to also keep our word so that the ornaments he's draped all over us, the pomegranate pips on on your forehead, and I still cannot quite see that, but you've got pomegranate pips on your forehead. Remember where you put the commandments, you put them on your forehead and then you put them on your arm. He says, okay, these pomegranate pips are on your temples. Why? Because, you know, this is where you look out. This is where you see. You know, that was brought out in our message at our congregation today. You know, right here, this is where you're seeing everything. As you view the world, view the world through the lens of the Holy Spirit and the commandments of Adonai, and you'll make it. You keep that before your eyes, and you will make every step. You will do it, and and you'll be beautiful while you're walking. But don't trade the ornaments that he gave you. Even out here in Egypt, He's given you already the the ornaments of betrothal and said, hey, you wear these until you arrive at the wedding, until you arrive at Sukkot. You go ahead and wear these. This is, I'm giving this to you on credit. I'm crediting you with the beauty you already have. And one day when we're resurrected, we'll finally be able to see the beauty of those ornaments and the commandments that we've been wearing. Right now, it's hard to see them, but then our eyes will be opened. And we'll be able to see what a beautiful bride we are. Even the guys, I know you don't like imagining being a bride you'll get it right you'll get it thank you for exploring the torah portion with us for more information on this ministry go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.